I'm going to try and make you laugh throughout this whole thing. You're not going to be able to focus on answering any questions. If you listen to some episodes, I do laugh. Okay. Okay. But you know what? Run with it because trust me, I will make sure I will get you back on track. You know me, I can just keep running jokes all day. Mm, I'm sure on this topic you'll struggle, but we'll give it a go. Which bear is the most condescending? Which bear? I have no idea. Panda. This guy. That's how I know one of your kids came up with that. <laughs> Some dead. Panda. I got jokes. I got jokes. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. They're not funny ones, but still. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Matt Brown, and you're listening to the Embryo Podcast. Each episode, we'll have a different guest come on and talk about when life hands you an L, is it really a loss or is it something else? Because not every L's a loss. So sit back, relax, or do whatever you guys do to get comfortable as we get into this. Let's go. Hello, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Every L Podcast, where we discuss when things don't go the way you want in life. Are they really an L or are they something else? What did you gain from going through those experiences? And I'm really privileged to not only have my past guests on, but to have this guest I have on today. This guy, huh, what can I say about him? He's a bit of a joker. He thinks he's a bit of a lad. But he's actually one of the kindest, most thoughtful people you'll come across. Extremely generous, extremely forthcoming with compassion, support, and just wants to uplift individuals. And I think maybe that could be him putting on that persona to hide these things, but it is what it is, right? And I'm happy to give people flowers while they're alive rather than when they pass. So... I'm happy to say, Donald, thank you very much for coming on. Please introduce yourself as much as you feel comfortable to, and then we'll go into the first L you want to discuss. Yeah, wow. Um, what an introduction, right? And when it's, it's the first time I've heard myself introduced like that, and uh, it kind of, I was doing some silly faces so Matt could see me, but I immediately stopped because it just made me a tiny bit emotional because I don't think anyone has ever said to me, I'll give you your flowers whilst you're still alive. And so just for that, thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's amazing having men, having fathers, having people around you like yourself who are constant reminders of how much we need each other or constant reminders of words that they put out that give you the support. Maybe you're having a rough day and, and your phone calls and your messages always do that for me. So thank you. Introducing myself, right. Am I, am I a lad? No, I think I'm just, I think I'm just silly. I think I'm, I'm probably one of the silliest blokes. Well, my wife tells me I'm silly. I never, don't take anything seriously, but I am the co-founder of the Fatherhood Awards, first ever awards of its kind voted for by the people. 
I am a father of soon to be six. I am a husband. I'm a son and I'm a brother. I pretty much have my hands in most pies you can think of. I, I, I like to give back in so many other ways. And, and I'm a big fan of trying to find solutions that, that just don't help companies, but help individuals, helps our society, helps the various parts of our society that need the help to get from one level to the other. And this is why I say the type of guy he is. So much appreciate for that introduction. Yeah, always happy to give people those flowers. They deserve it. And I think the more we take time to appreciate one another and let each other know how much they mean to them, the world will be a better place. So... Yeah, is what it is. Got no shame about it. I'm a guy. I can cry. I get emotional. It is what it is. That's what guys do too. Even though some guys want to front and act like it don't happen, it's not healthy. At least in my opinion. Yeah, hundred percent. I completely in agreement with you there, Matt. So, in regards to your L's, now normally I don't know what the L's about, but this one I already kind of know. But the questions I have for you are slightly different to what you're used to. So we'll go, we'll go with this. So folks, those of you listening, the first L Donald would like to discuss, and this is going to be a quick trigger warning. If at the point of you hearing what the first L is, it's something you're going to struggle with, do me a huge favor. Just stop. Don't listen to this and hold fire for the next episode or skip further ahead unless you feel that might be too much of a risk. I don't want you to go a certain way in your thought processes because to discuss this topic, very similar to the last, well, the last one is one of my previous episodes where we spoke about miscarriage. That was hard for some people. Another episode, we spoke about suicide. Some people are here for it. Some people, it's just not part of what they're able to cope with. And I appreciate where you're coming from. So Donald wants to talk today about losing his daughter. If the thought of hearing that conversation, bear in mind questions will be asked to further understand what took place. Is something you're not keen on? I respectfully accept your invitation to just go, not for me. I'll catch you in the next one. But for those of you that do want to listen, sit back, hold tight, and yeah, just hear the truth. That is Donald's account of this situation. So Donald, if you don't mind. Yeah, I mean, I also put a disclaimer out there. Anyone that does want to reach out after that, I mean, I'm not a trained psychologist or a trained counsellor, but I've always got a, a shoulder to cry on or two ears to listen or, or one mouth to talk back and give you the encouragement that, that, that anyone needs. Yeah, so my first L is losing my daughter. So it's going to be four years this month. We... We walked into a hospital on, well, well, it started off with going to, to a midwife. So we went to 
my, my wife, I was at work. I'd gone, I'd gone that day. I'd gone to work. Um, in the morning, it was the 14th of September, 2018. I'd gone to work. And as you do, you know, that Friday feeling, you know, mother-in-law had been staying the night before. So, or she'd been staying with us since the Tuesday and, and she'd gone home on Thursday. So I had that feeling of Friday. I can, um, I can now walk around in my boxes <laughs> or walk around but ask naked if I wanted to in our house. Um, and that's how you end up with so many kids. Uh, <laughs> Uh, probably is um but i i'd gone to work normal friday i had meetings that day i remember that vividly um and my wife had kind of called me around halfway through the morning and said you know what my hernia is playing up i really don't feel good i'm just gonna chill out on the sofa and let the kids play around and i said she had a midwife routine appointment later on that afternoon and i said okay let me know how you feel but in my head I had already started the cancelling of meetings and knowing that I'm going to have to go. She was 18 weeks, I think, 18 or 19 weeks at this stage. So she was showing and baby had taken form and it was just a matter of baby fattening up. I then, she then called me later on around two-ish and said, look, I need to go to this appointment. I don't feel great. And I said, say less, I'm coming home. I then started the journey to make my way home. Could not think anything else of it. Just thought her hernia was playing up. Got home. As I got home, she was on the way out. So in my head, I was like, oh, you can't be feeling that bad. You're up on your feet now. You must be feeling better. She had come out of the house with the three kids, my daughter and my two sons. And she was like, I'm going to the midwives now. And I said, okay, cool. We'll come with you. Her face was a face of, why are you doing this? So if you see me, if you know me, you know that we roll in pack, wolf pack. My wolf pack is always, if I'm there, my wolf pack is not far behind. Wherever I go, uh, for me, I like my kids to experience and see and see things. We try not to shelter them from a lot. So I could see her eyes kind of just raise her eyebrow like, oh, here we go. I'm not going to be able to have my appointment in the piece that I wanted to. Anyway, we, we, we went to the midwife's. First midwife comes in. We get sit down. We get called. First midwife comes in. Um, the kids are excited. We've told them the, they're going to get to hear the heartbeat, and it's, it sounds like a galloping horse and all the rest of it. And I'm like making the sound going, and they're looking at me like, oh, "Daddy, you're so silly." Anyway, first midwife comes in and she's like, "Oh, um, she's struggling to find the heartbeat." She's like, "Oh, don't worry. Maybe the baby's just not. It's not." You know, that they've maybe moved or in a position where it's difficult to find. She tries again. I think she tried twice or three times. Um, and then said, well, let me go and get the other midwife. Baby's just maybe in an awkward position. It's hard for me to get the heartbeat. At this point, I didn't think much of it. I was like, okay, cool. You know, they'll find it eventually. They haven't given me much cause of concern. The second midwife comes in and she can't find it either. The first midwife says, well, look, if you're really worried about it, we can send you to the hospital where they've got better equipment that they'll be able to do a scan and reassure you and all the rest of it. The other 
the the and I look at my wife and we're kind of at this stage. She's like, we're kind of. She's like, well, I'm a bit worried now. This doesn't sound good. In my head, I've just thought, cool. We'll go to hospital. They'll do it, or you can come back at your next appointment, which is in four or five weeks. We've opted to go to the hospital. Got in the car. She's phoned ahead and told them that we're coming. Need an appointment to do the scan. Whatever else we've. Put the kids in the car, headed up to uh, Croydon University Hospital. Got to the hospital. When doctors called us in, we've got in. They've done the scan. The first doctor's done the scan. Spent a good minute or two doing the scan. And then said, okay, I'll be back. I just need to get another doctor. She's gone to get the other doctor. Again, at this stage, I'm kind of like, okay, what's going on? The other doctor's come back in done the scan and kind of turned around to us and said, look, your baby's dead. There's no, we can't find a heartbeat. Now, bear in mind, we're in a room with our children as well. And I think they must have had a couple of the nurses on standby because just like that, the kids were rushed away by the midwives saying, oh, come and let's draw. I've looked at my wife and she's got her face is full of tears. Shocked. I'm in a state of shock. I'm kind of like, what do you mean? Like, this stuff doesn't happen to us. Like, what, what's going on? Now, so many emotions, when I think back now, are going through my head at the time. I'm going, I'm thinking, what the, what's going on here? Like, what what does that mean? What's happening? What, are you sure? Like, what's going on? But then at the same time, I'm trying to support my wife, who's visibly upset, tear, like, uncontrolled, uncontrollably crying. I'm hurt and all of a sudden there's like a gap that I feel a gap in my heart like there's a hole in my heart and it's hard to put into words that you know that feeling when your heart just sinks yeah but it sinks so much that you kind of have to take a breath back in to kind of get you feel like your heart stopped it's sank that deep so I'm looking at her and I'm holding her and I'm going, what's going on? The nurse has come back in and the doctors come back in and kind of said, look, we'll give you a couple of minutes. You guys deal with it. And when you're ready, give us a call. We're, we're sat there. I, I can't remember. Time has just, it's just a time warp. It's just this, this disappeared. After a while, they come back in and they, they kind of give us the options. What we've got to do. One of them was you... You, you can take you can take a tablet and then not feel anything. You can come back. We can give you something now. You come back and then we induce labor, and you have labor in a couple of days or whenever you're ready. Those I think those were the two options that we got. We decided to go with the two days, and then we'll come back and we'll give birth to our child. But before that, we needed to go to a number of different departments within the hospital. So we needed to go back into where they do baby scans. We went to that place where they do baby scans. Clearly, the woman that did the scan hadn't had the the the, the information detail. So when she did the scan, she was like, congratulations. Oh. And we're like, is she taking the pee? Like, what's going on? Um. Oh. It's, it is poor. And then we've gone back and we've taken the options. We've got in the car. I think that was the worst journey 
that I've had. It's a short journey to where we live. It's about 10, 15 minutes to try and understand what has just happened. It feels so surreal. It almost feels unreal. Yeah. We get home and we've obviously got to get the kids ready, get them to bed. We're just kind of stunned. I don't think we spoke that evening. I think emotionally I was tired. I just didn't know where to start. Right. Um, and I think I remember my mother-in-law being there. I think she came back. And I remember vividly explaining to the children what had happened the next day. Um, I remember the look on my daughter's face. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand what you're saying to me. My son was just like, huh? you know, being a boy. Like, mm. But I remember my daughter, she was old enough to kind of understand what had happened. And the concept of death was introduced to to a four-year-old, a three-year-old. And I think it was just, two, just, just coming up to two-year-old. And yeah, so it is. And then the next day, my wise boss came round, and I remember him giving us words of comfort, trying to tell us it'll be okay, things will be fine. But I just kept saying, but why? Why us? It, it just doesn't make sense. Anyway, fast forward on the Sunday, we've got to go to the hospital. In between those days, I found myself thinking, well, I'm happy. And this almost feels so surreal, such a weird position to be in. You've got to wait two days to go and give birth to a dead child. I caught myself at times being happy and feeling guilty for being happy because I'll catch myself going, well, what am I laughing at? I have a dead child. I should be mourning. But the the real impact of it was after my wife had given birth on the Sunday, the week that preceded it were the ones that were really life-changing for me i after she'd given birth we'd seen our baby baby needed to go for a post-mortem to figure out why baby died and all the rest of it we named our baby Angelo as a boy. I just couldn't comprehend what happened. I didn't want to be here. The only thing that I could think made me happy was to be with my with my dead son. Because all I could think of was, he's lonely. He's on his own. No one really cared about how I felt. No one really talked to me about it. My wife thought, like, I, I couldn't expect my wife to talk to me about it because she'd been through it physically. I didn't see any other men that had experienced it. No one has ever made or hadn't seen it or heard of people who'd gone through it. And for me, it brought me to a place where I vividly remember writing a note on a Wednesday, the week after the Wednesday, my wife had taken the kids out to see a friend. Literally, by the way, my wife gave birth on the, on the early hours of the Monday. On the Tuesday, she was going out to a play group. Wonder Woman. Like, literally Wonder Woman, right? I didn't want to go. I didn't want to see anyone. I didn't want to go out to the world. I felt all sorts. I felt ashamed. I felt impotent. I felt weak. I felt 
like there was something wrong with me. I felt sad. I felt torn. All of those negative emotions were just there, right? But the, the two weeks, the week after, I think it was, we were around, what, the 26th or so, or just before then. They'd gone out on a Wednesday. She'd gone to see a friend. I knew they'd be out for a couple of hours. I'd planned it the night before, right? I know they're going to be out. This would be the perfect time for me to go and be with my son. Planned it all, bought a bottle of whiskey. I knew where I'd put some blades. Um, and I, you Googled, you know, you can also drink bleach if you drink a lot of bleach. Um, so I had all of those things ready. And I remember just thinking, right, when they go, I'll write, I've written a note the night before. Um, and the note was really just to, for them to understand that don't be sad because I'm now with our son. Right. And it was a note to my wife and to the kids just to make sure they understood and left it on the bed, went into our bathroom, ran a bath, got in the bath and just cried, literally just cried. I cried because I wanted to be with my son so much, but I was too weak to make it happen. I cried because no one understood me. I cried because I was felt like I was journeying this. I was doing this on my own. It was tough. It was tough. And, and um, I don't know how much time had passed. I had then heard the door quickly jumped out of the bath, put everything away got dressed and I think I had given I'd gave my wife and the kids the biggest hug I think I'd ever given them yeah and 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 that for me was a moment it was an L but wasn't really an L because it helped me understand so much more about myself it helped me understand so much more about being a man being a father it made me understand so much more about baby loss yeah mate it's heavy and never a good time to lose a loved one, even if it's someone that you only love for such a short period of time. The love was real. The love was there. The connection was there. Mm. You know, how many people do we connect with over the internet and we have genuine love for them, but we never met them like face to face. So why can't we strike up a relationship with an unborn child? Mm. You know, just the mere mention of saying you're pregnant. Mm. Wow. All of a sudden your world's opened up. There's a new dimension that you never knew existed. And once you know you're, for those that are not in this position, at least for me, as soon as you become a parent, you realize you're no longer counting the days until you achieve things. You're kind of like, uh, this is a countdown until I'm not here no more. Yeah. So anything and everything you can have, you kind of want to make it happen and don't want to waste your time. If, at least for me, when it came to being pregnant, you kind of wanted that time to go as smoothly as possible mm. because you don't want to have anything that distracts you from your family, the things you care about, the things you're trying to achieve. And losing someone can have massive ramification. Grief is a real, real, real concern for a lot of people. 
because we don't like change as, as human beings. So when you lose someone, at least for me, you built up a future, a reality you're accustomed to or one you're planning to move into. And then when that doesn't happen, there's a time where you have to process that information, understand how you're going to salvage that future that you thought was going to be your reality. And some people don't even want to process it because it feels like it's disrespectful to the person that's passed. Yeah, no, 100%. Grief grief is so personal, right? But then yet, yeah, so it's one of the, it's one of the, it's one of the only emotions that is so personal to you, but yet so collective. Yeah. In, in how you deal with it. Right. And, and, and by that, I mean, with my grief, it was kind of, I knew that it was impacting me, but I needed the collective to, to, to help me through that journey to maybe hold me, maybe to talk to me or maybe to understand and just, give me a shoulder to cry on but in our society now and I think which is why I do a lot of work with men and baby loss and and baby loss charities is still that taboo that's not spoken about and rightfully so like you said you lose a granddad you lose a partner you lose anyone that you, you, you you've had some time with that is kind of, you know, there's a whole funeral process that's, that's almost more acceptable to talk about that. But the minute you lose a child, an unborn child, whether it be stillbirth or miscarriage, it's almost, it's almost, uh, well, it's, is it real? Was it real? Was it ever real? Right. But people forget that there is, like you said, there's a whole, hope and dreams that are built around that expectation of I now have a new baby that is going to be a boy or girl they're going to grow they're going to go to school they're going to get married they're going to have a job they're going to buy a house they're going to live their life till whatever else right and they're going to give me grandkids so it's kind of whatever whatever expectation you don't just mourn that but you you mourn that attachment it's your child, right? It's, it's, it's your own, your own DNA. Yeah, it, it is tough. Just want to clarify it. So it was your son, not your daughter. <laughs> well, it's so we we were told it was a boy. We did a funeral and had the autopsy December. It took a while for them to do the autopsy for us to get the results. That's when we found out actually it was a girl. So that must have been something else because again, you're mourning the future you thought you would have had. Even you writing a letter if Thank God it didn't go that way, but I'm going to be with her son. And it's like, ain't even a son. It's a daughter. In the grand scheme of things, it makes no difference. It's your child. But you kind of feel like you've gone to go get your scan. Oh, congratulations. Not that conversation. Oh, it's a boy. It's not a boy. 
I get we're human, we will make mistakes, but there's certain jobs you just need to learn how to present information, inquire without seeming like you're intruding. It feels like none of the above was followed. No, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I think the midwife that brought the baby, uh, brought our baby boy, we saw at the time, she looked down and said, his genital parts hadn't been yet developed, which is why we couldn't see it. Now, at the time, you've got two emotional parents who have just given birth to their dead child. The first time they're holding their dead child, we didn't even think anything of it. We're not the experts. We just went, okay, cool. And then we we, we subsequently named him Angelo. Now, we go to the autopsy, we're kind of like, I'm annoyed because the funeral directors, once we've had the funeral, we've told them it's a boy. So the headstone they're now going to put on it, it's going to be a boy. So I am so annoyed and I haven't brought myself around to call in the funeral directors yet to kind of fix it. So baby's due date was the 14th of February, Valentine's Day. We then go after year one, after those few months from September when we got the autopsy in December to go and have a look at the gravestone once they've put it in. And that was the first time since we'd buried him. We look at it and it says Angela. So it's kind of like, hold on a minute, what's going on here? So now I'm annoyed at the funeral directors because... It was a boy, they knew a boy, but they put a girl's name there. But then my wife is like, no, but it's a girl, so it's okay, this is a sign. So subsequently, she went from an Angelo to an Angela. Yeah, I, I think it's, I get why you'd be upset. Like, I think I appreciate from both points. I understand why your wife's saying, don't worry about it, it sorted itself out, that's all that matters, whether it was be by design or accident, it makes no difference. We got the result that we needed. Mm. But I guess from your point, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it feels like, why can't anyone get anything right? At least yeah. I know that yeah. I've got to speak to the funeral. I haven't done it yet, but that's on me. And you're th- and it's like, oh, you done it. But you're incompetent because a boy, not a girl. Why are you just freestyling it? <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's my thing right it was kind of like you guys have just gone off on the limb here it could have been robert or lucas or whatever yeah and you've just put whatever hickety haggada name on there now name wrong beautiful name they've put it on there and it's all worked out like you said but it was that moment of at that point when it kind of brought back the feeling of well no one understands me no one is in my head to understand what i'm going through to understand that this is nonsense, what you guys have just done. It is like it's gone from one person telling me as a boy, we've mourned a boy, we've mourned that whole thing, we've buried a boy. And now you come back, just imagine, and, and I, I can only imagine this is what it must feel like for you hear of the cases where people are going to bury their loved ones, but it actually turns out they buried the wrong person. Yeah. And you go, this stuff only happens in movies, man. Like, what, what, what what's going on here? I can only imagine how they feel, but it's, I can only, you know, for me, that's how I felt like what's going on here. But like you said, it all worked out for the best. The universe has a way and and God has a way. 
you know, of doing things for us um, that we don't even realize that we need at the time. Definitely. And I, I, it's weird that you said that because someone my wife knows she's expecting and like really happy because of their culture. It's a boy was trying to work out a name, had a name, gave it to the in-laws, make sure they could pronounce it right because different language and stuff like that. Everyone's happy. And it's like, oh, I've got to get a child circumcised because it's part of the culture. Mm. Circumcision is not cheap. For them to do that to, that's a lot of money. But anyway, you know, it is what it is. (laughs) And they found that it wasn't a boy. The baby's not here. But they found out because I think they went for a scan and like, that's not a boy. Yeah, it is. Because obviously, you know, they say, do you want another sex? Yeah, it's like, no, yeah. we know the sex. It's a boy. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Then eventually oh, went wow. private just to make sure. Bear in mind, all of this is costing money. And it's like, yeah, it's a girl. So names change. And, you know, I get how people can feel a certain way because you're not resenting the child's gender it's just Mm. we're expecting yay right what gender is it if you don't care fine but if you care and they give you the wrong gender and you've built up all these scenarios about what you got to do what life looked like and so forth and now it's like well it's not that gender it's the other one so I've now got to deconstruct this future that I'd planned for this gendered child to now reconstruct it. But before I do that, I'm going to mourn a little bit because that is no longer a reality because your firstborn's going to be one or the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's exactly that. It's exactly that is is the breaking down of, right, I've built and penned my, it's like, you know, it's like, I mean, people do it with houses, right? You, you you buy a house, you move into the house, you realize that the house wasn't what the, the buyer sold you. Um, and you kind of go, oh, you get so upset about it. You spend thousands and thousands of pounds fixing it, but it's the sticking point to that house. So you always remember spending that thousands of thousands of pounds, regardless of how beautiful the house ends up being, that you spend on that. So it's almost the impact that that has. Now imagine that times 100 on a bigger scale when you're talking your own child so but like I said for me it was deconstructing and and kind of learning I was already I'd already been at almost my lowest that when I take retrospective view nothing else that could come yes it was annoying and yes it was frustrating and and yes it was kind of it brought back some 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 feelings that weren't good but at the same time I'd already been at the lowest of the low that that didn't even matter. It was now, right, let's, 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 we've got this now. This is where we're at. We understand that it wasn't our fault and our baby just, heart just stopped. Yeah. You know, we had no closure in that, that why, why she died. Her heart just stopped. And now I, we have to both get ourselves to a place where we, she becomes part of our daily lives. She's part of our family. And every year we celebrate, we celebrate her birthdays. We celebrate, you know, the kids are involved. The, the kids will get a cake and we'll do a birthday party, like a family close knit us, just us and the kids, a family party and, and, and a birthday party and, and all of that. And it's a nice way to remember her. And it's one of the most dynamic relationships I think I have. 
I had to go and get help with my own suicidal thoughts and wanted to take my own life. I had to get men around me who, who, who spoke about this, who I was able to exchange ideas and, and, and speak to about all of this. So for me, it, it's kind of, it was an L that helped shape and helped me understand a part of the world that you just didn't know existed until you go through it. Yeah. I I really would like to know, how do you function as a parent? To how many was it, two or three you had at the time? Three. So three children, three young children. Yeah. You just had this happen and you still got a parent. I didn't parent. I, I, I'll be honest and, and completely frank with it. My wife is the most powerful, strong, psychological woman that I've ever met. Her strength mentally, psychologically, physically as well is unbelievable. I refuse to spend any time with my children. I could not bear the thought of being with my children. In, in, in Retrospectively and in, in having done counselling, I think when I think back to that time, it was almost they will remind me of the gap that is missing. So to to hide and protect myself from it, I just didn't want, I didn't want to see my kids. That During that period, I did not want to speak to see my kids. I spent hours in a dark room in our bedroom and not come out of the room for days because I did not want to see my kids. So parenting went out the window. So did you feel guilty about putting that additional responsibility on your wife? Yes and no. Yes, in a sense that I I didn't even think about it as a duty on her. She just carried on. No, in a sense that I think for her it was a distraction. Yeah. A distraction from having to talk about whether it was between the days of us finding out and her giving birth or the days that preceded it and the weeks that preceded it, it was a distraction for her. Yeah. I asked because there are times where having twins is a lot, especially when they're newborn. But I have work. I get tired. And as much as I just feel like I've been up since four or something, kept the kids distracted in terms of feeding them so mum don't have to get up and deal with them go to work and so forth and then come back and be like oh I'd like an early night but then mum's been with them during the day so I end up still doing what I can to support mm. I would love to just go I'm going to sleep but in my head I feel that would be selfish and I think there's a time and a place where you have to be selfish for your own well-being especially if you're going to react in a very negative way. It's better that you kind of go do you and I'll catch you when you're in a better place. But that was just me in terms of how I would have some guilt. Yes, I would have some parent guilt, but if I can't be authentic, 
I kind of don't want to do it, if that makes sense. I feel like my family deserved the best version of me, but I can only imagine how you would have felt at that time. And, you know, to remove. Yeah, I mean, have you ever heard, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase being lonely in a marriage. No, but I can understand how that is yeah. to be a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the thing I was, you know, or being in a crowd of people, but also feeling lonely. Yeah. Right. That's how it felt. It felt like I was here, but I felt lonely. I didn't want to be, I didn't want anything. My mind wasn't ready, wasn't mature enough, didn't quite understand what was happening. So all that I was thinking was about me and my baby. Yeah. And, when you did have those suicidal thoughts about leaving to be with your, well, as you do to be your son, did you think about how that would impact your children and your wife if you'd done it? I thought about them understanding. I, I thought about them understanding me. I didn't think about the impact it would have on them, but hence the note would have explained and they would have understood impact i didn't go that far i did not think about the impact at the time no because something i'll say and hopefully it'll come across in the right way checking out to spend time with a child that you'd known for a very brief time no matter what words you put on that paper i don't honestly think anyone would fully appreciate why you would have followed through those actions because I'm very aware if you're a firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, but your parents having more children, but decide this one didn't make it, I'm going, am I not enough? Yeah, oh, 100%. Is this one not enough and so forth? And that's the part where... I don't want you or anyone to feel bad. It's just I've lost a family member who committed suicide at age of 21. He felt no other options were on his table. My uncle, who is his dad, was in his life. His mum, my aunt, was in his life. He had two young children, but felt no matter how bad things got, that was the only option. And the ramifications for my uncle, my aunt, his kids, he probably never fathomed it would have had that impact. But I just, I'm grateful for your life, for your existence, that you're still here, that you're willing to talk about. But it's just a question I pose to ask because I've had suicide thoughts, but I was much younger, not in this position as a parent, but to be in that position as a parent, I can only imagine how much hurt you must have been feeling for you to think, I need this to stop. Yeah. And, and it's that, it's exactly that. And, 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 and right. It is, is if we, you know, having, having suicidal thoughts and, and they're rational, they're rational. They're, they're only as rational as what you're feeling at the time because the emotion based. Right. Everything that, you know, is very emotion led in the sense that I know this to be true right now. And I'm going to act on this. That is true right now. Certainly, you know, it, it differs from person to person. But for me, 
that was my reality at that time. The only way out, the only way I could survive what was going on, ironically, was not to was to take my own life because that to me was survival. It was better than anything else that was available at that particular moment in time for me, right? So you've got the mixture of these irrational thoughts that you've rationalized into logical ideas and made sense of them and they make sense to you. So at the point of making those decisions, for me, it was almost this is what I want. This is what will make me happy. Yeah. Right. And had I thought about my children, had I thought about my mum, my brothers, my family members, my wife? No, because at that time, they weren't the solution for me. Yeah. You know, I had been there the way, and a lot of the time it was, when I think back on it, it was a big cry for help that I'd been in so many ways, I'd got to the stage where no one had spoken to me about it. I'd had comments from people, it's just a bunch of cells, you make another one, you've got three other kids already anyway, what's the big deal? It's just, you'll make another baby anyway. you know. And in all of this, I'm blaming myself, I'm kind of saying it's my sperm week, did I not eat healthy enough? Did I not do X, Y, and Z enough? So for me, it's, like I said, a rational thought, an idea. It's an irrational thought, an idea that has so many layers to it, so many layers to it. And it takes guts. And this is what the most courageous, and this is probably something that will be unpopular with a lot of people, but the most correct, courageous people are the ones that go through it, go through with it. Because it takes a lot of guts to want to take your own life. I didn't have the guts to do it. And that is the that is the truth. So do you resent not having the guts to go through with it? I'm glad I didn't have the guts to go through with it because I can now utilize my experience to make sure the memory of my daughter lives on forever. But do I resent it? No. I just know that it was a time in my life that I was weak. I was sick. I was, my mind wasn't right. I had been through a traumatic experience. And I have to see it as that for me. Yeah. But utilize that experience for good. For good for my daughter. For good for other other dads and other men for good to leave an imprint or legacy in the world. That's good. That's good. Suicide, I heard the phrase and I've loved it ever since. It's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And I'm just, like I said, I'm glad you're still here. You didn't go that way. So there are so many more things I'd like to unpack and chance are we won't do the second L. If that's all right with you, we'll do it another time. Yeah. Yeah. Around this situation, it seems like you didn't deal with it in a very healthy way. 
your relationship with your wife clearly was strained because you was lonely in a marriage. Was your relationship with your children also becoming strained? And if so, when you were in a better place, was it kind of like playing catch up, trying to rebuild those bonds and reestablish the connections that you had prior to you having to rediscover your yourself and what you really wanted? Yeah, I, I think what a lot of the time when we lose someone as adults, as parents, we tend to forget the impact it has on children. We think about ourselves and the impact it has on us, but we tend to forget the impact that that traumatic experience that I have had, it's also a traumatic experience for someone that may not be able to articulate how they're feeling from having that traumatic experience. So it had a traumatic experience on my on my daughter and my son. I could see they were a little bit more removed they 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 couldn't quite make sense of 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 the the permanent level of we're never going to see our sister again or we're never going to meet our sister i remember the day of the funeral they were just we didn't go to the we didn't take them to the burial we we we, we they went they did we did a service a church service a mass and then went to the burial site with a few close friends and family and the kids went home Um, They couldn't, we didn't want them to go through it. But I remember my daughter kind of being perplexed as to what was going on. And when it comes to the relationship between myself and my kids, yes, 100% it had an impact. It had a huge impact. And like I said, it's, it's recognizing, you know, with us, what we've tried to do is make sure that we speak and involve our children in everything that we do and how we deal with life in as much as possible. So for them, it was, yes, it's impacted them, but also they also have to realize that it's, they realize that it's also impacted daddy and it's impacted mummy in a very different way. We have to work together as a team to get to that place where we can, one, openly talk about it and two, you know, be involved in supporting each other to mend what is broken. I hear that. So going back, you're spiraling, not in a good place, dealing with it in a not a very good way at all in the grand scheme of things. Would you, what would you say to yourself going back in time? What would you say to yourself just before you got to the peak of where things got real bad to help yourself get out of this situation, to change the mindset? Because at some point it happened, right? But what would you feel would be the right thing to say to young Donald? to help you talk to someone talk to someone talk to someone talk 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 surround find people who have experienced something similar and talk 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 because if you think about it as a 
and I think this is this is one of the parts that we don't think about a lot as a society, certainly as a black community as well. One in four. Yeah. Right. Those are the statistics. A lot of the time when we say one in four, we only think one in four women, mums. Yeah. We don't talk about one in four dads. The mother didn't make the baby on her own. So there is, you know, uh, what, what is it? I think it's something like there's 250,000 new children born in the UK. Yeah. Every, I think it's every month. Right. So there are, if you think about that, that means that there are 250,000 mums, there are 250,000 dads. Yeah. So within your own friendship circles, count one in four. You know, if there will be another man or another woman who have experienced exactly the same thing. So talk, talking, what you will find is, is breaking down the promise that we made to our daughter was we will utilize this experience. Even if we save one person, even if we, what we say and what we talk during this podcast can, uh, you know, one person hears this and it helps them to me or they, they they hear it and then recommend it to someone else or whatever it goes. That's always been the idea and the plan is create enough ripples so that they turn into waves. Um, and talking finding those groups of people. And if you can't find just there's something cathartic and therapeutic about finding a stranger and offloading. Yeah. Is there is no judgment. They don't know you, you don't know them and just, or just, you just download onto them. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's just talk. That's the advice I'll give to a young Donald talk and, you know, accept the experience for what it is. Because there's there will be something, like I said, mourning is so personal, but each stage of mourning has a value to build in as the character that and personality that you will become. Very eloquently said. Do you think you would have been in the right place to have heard that at the time? Probably not, I think. But then when are you ever in the right place to hear anything, right? It's, it's, I I have a philosophy of people are never in the right place to hear what they need to hear, but the right things come to the right people at the right time. It's going to take a while for that to digest, but I feel like I'm, I'm I'm in agreement with that. Right. In a sense that, you know, I could tell you now that, you know, driving a motorcycle is amazing. It's absolutely amazing, right? Riding a motorcycle, a Jugatti, ten ninety eight, beautiful fume flies, air, wind in your hair, whatever. But until you get to that stage in your life where you're in that position where you can ride that motorcycle, you can have the wind in your hair, you're just feeling that, that will never land. Yeah. It will never land. No matter how many times I tell you, it will never land. A lot of the times we go through and, and and I've had people say to me, you can sit there and say that because you've been through it, but it's not that as, you know, and, and as alluded to before my second L was, you know, I, I, 
despite all of that and the irony of of life, right, and the irony of God and and the universe is he then decided that last year he would try and push me and try and take me and I found myself in in intensive care twice, right? From going from wanting to take my own life four years ago now, two or three years ago at the time, to now my life is about to be taken, right? Now, I, I, I would never, again, two, two um, situations that have essentially the same outcome, but one is almost a fear of not wanting to go. The other one is a willingness to go. Yeah. Um, two sides of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin. So it's kind of, you know, when, you, when, when you're going through something, it's much more, it's, it's a lot harder to take a helicopter view and see what's going on. Yeah. It's a lot harder. And you can only ever really get through it when you have a community of the right people around you that encourage you, that talk to you about it, that help you see it, that ask you the questions, that push you to think differently, that bring you the joy and happiness and maybe give you that brief moment of forgetfulness of what you're going through and look at it Look at something, a distraction that will, you know, again, like you said at the top of the podcast, you know, give you your flowers because sometimes that's all we need. And and, and what I found recently with society in general is that little smile you give to someone on the, on, on, on the road, that little, that bag you carry for that old lady, that, that door you open for that person, whatever, something that you do for someone, always has a knock-on effect. 99% of the time will always have a knock-on effect. And that one thing you do, no matter how big or small, you know, it impacts that person, but it has a wider impact than just that person. You don't know what day they've had. You don't know, you know, and, and people say it all the time and people who sit on Instagram, on social media and kind of push out all of this, be kind, be kind. But when it comes to it in reality, they're the complete opposite. But I would always encourage people is, you know, just smile at someone. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture. It doesn't have to give someone a million pounds. You don't have to, you know, go and buy them or pay for their shopping like you see in one of these videos on Instagram. Sometimes it's just open a door for them. Sometimes it's just smile. And sometimes it's just listening. Like you said, someone wants to talk, you're a stranger. How are you? I'm fine. No, how are you? Exactly. And give them the opportunity to speak and acknowledge them and let them know they've been heard. Yeah, 100%. I need to ask you, who did you speak to to help you get into a better space? Counselor. I spoke to a counselor. I started off, so (laughs) funny fact with that, I, my wife knew that I'd had suicidal thoughts, but she didn't quite know the extent of it till two years ago. Okay. And it wasn't for, and again, it goes back to that whole thing of talking, right? It it wasn't because I was hiding it from her. I did tell her, but I think she never really, and again, it goes back to that listening thing to what you just said. 
is sometimes we listen because we want to listen in the way that we want to listen, yeah. not in the way that that person wants to talk. And it's not until I, I, I did a podcast, Love Love Laid Bare, and we kind of landed on that topic and, 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 and spoke about it. And I spoke about when first, for the first first time, I went in depth about it, that she listened to it and she was like, oh my days, I never knew it was that, it was that bad. So, you know, I, I, even my wife, I, I, I struggled up until for a while, for a good year and a half, two years, I struggled to speak to my wife properly, earnestly, openly, wholeheartedly. I, I really struggled. So who did I used to speak to? A lot of the time I, I would speak to my counsellor because I think I could just offload yeah, with no judgment, with no 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 kind of repercussions no anything and then over time i joined a group of fathers who had some of whom had experienced a similar thing and that became the safe the safe place for me became a place where I could put how I was feeling in there, what was going through my mind on a daily basis. I could check in with someone, you know, and often enough it is that it's hard being, being in a relationship and being married and being, having family and having friends and having people is brilliant around you, but it's also hard when you want to talk in a way that, there is no judgment because they know you as this and 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 that's what will always stick with them right you have to get to a place where you're so intertwined with each other that they just get you and, and you know i'm happy to say that now it's very much like that with my wife where we are so intertwined that she just gets it and i get her but it took for that experience to take our relationship to the next level I guess I don't want to say nearsighted, but as as much as you may not want to say whatever it takes to get you there in a kind of roundabout way, you kind of want to say at least you arrived there. You arrived there. And obviously you're expecting, which is fantastic. How did you find a counsellor? And the only reason I'm asking the question is because for those people that are listening, I would like to give them at least to sense of direction to say, well, this is where you went. It may not be the same place you go, but at least, you know, if you're having similar thoughts or had had similar thoughts, where to go, if you suspect a friend, a family member, a co-worker are showing traits that you've just expressed, how can we help them out to talk to someone if they're not as upfront and willing to be open like you are and just need that safe space yeah there, there are a number of different charities that that kind of specialize in listening i would say there's a national suicide prevention helpline that 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 are great help there are specific lines you know for for example in my for me there was um sans i'm still still birth and neonatal they, they they were they were brilliant 
I mean, eventually they were brilliant. It took a couple of goes, but eventually they were brilliant. There's Tommy's. There's, you know, there's so many charities that focus on suicide prevention for specific, you know, in our case, baby loss or, 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 or stillbirth. But there are also the national, like I said, the National Suicide Prevention Centre that help, helpline that help a lot of people. I know when they get to that stage, but you can also go to your local council, right? The nine times out of 10, your local council will have someone that you can speak to that will help because it, 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 it happens in so many different ways, right? And the impact that it has could be, you may not feel up to going to work the next day. You may not feel like going out the next day. You may not feel like, you know, you may feel like you, all you want to do is just, Stay at home. Mental health comes in so many different shapes and sizes. So getting the council on board, getting your employer on board, right? I believe a lot of employers now have mental health first aiders that can help. A lot of employers also have mental health apps, which personally I'm not a big fan of because I think it's them devoiding themselves of the responsibility of looking after their employees. But that's a different conversation. But a lot of them have mental health, mental health first aiders that are on hand. Again, speak, like I said, speaking to a council to give them a full understanding of the situation um, so that they can help in more ways than just being the physical help. But finding a counsellor, there's so many counsellors online that that, that specialise and in, in, in focus on suicide prevention and mental health. So for me, I used SANS, like I said, and through SANS, I found someone that I could speak to. But I also found someone, a private counsellor that I could, excuse me, that's that's the been up since five o'clock, not quite like you, I've been up since four. But yeah, a, a lot of, you know, I, I went, I kind of went private on um, my, my healthcare and, and found someone that way as well. So but there are many, 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 you know, quick, quick look online will tell you, you know, where your closest counsellors are and a lot of them give you free advice. Failing that, you know, more than happy. I'll give you a very, very brief story where two years ago, two and a half years ago, just as just the first, I think it was the first lockdown, in the first lockdown, I got this real urge to just put out a status on on my social media just saying here's my telephone number anyone that wants to talk just call me and I got a call from a person I'm not going to say male or female and they were just at the point of wanting to take their own life wow we had a really good chat a good hour and a half chat by the end of it they were kind of they, they you know they just kind of said wow I've got so much more to live for and it's not to celebrate me as a hero, but it's more to highlight that sometimes the people that rather than use the things that we use for our own selfish gains, for whatever reason, we can just a mere switch up of ideas of how we use it to better our communities, our society, will we yield so much more. Now I'm hoping that young man or woman will go on to get married, have kids and, and, and so on and so forth and, you know, will create a better 
better society that we live in. That is really honourable of you for doing something like that. Because a lot of people think that social media is toxic because that's the part that we mainly see and that's what's pushed to the fore, especially with media. But we know there are good parts of it. That's part of the reason how we communicated in the most part. And we've met amazing people like Kelly and so forth like that. So, yeah, I appreciate for you um, sharing. So just want to clarify if that's not an L, what are you calling it? Or what did you gain from it? What did I gain from it? If anything. I, I gained a lot. I gained, you know, um, I gained far, far more than I lost. You know, I lost, I, I went in into this, I lost a child, but I gained a relationship with myself, with my child with my dead child, with with society, with the people I encounter. I also gained perspective. That is not something that you can buy. Yeah, much appreciated. So for the next how many minutes, selfishly plug you, what you got going on, and let the people know how to find you. Of course, the details will be in the show note as per usual. But for those that are listening at present, what you got going on? Where can they find you? I always find this part of any um, podcast or anything I do so hard because I hate it. <laughs> so what 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 do I do? Like I said, it's um we're, we're, I'm working on I'm working on the second year of the Fatherhood Awards, um, which is going to be happening on the seventeenth of June next year. Uh, Hopefully, fingers crossed, Streatham Space Project, unless we get an influx of of people buying tickets, in which case we have to change venues. So everyone that's listening to this, I expect to see you there. Reach out and we've got a Instagram page. We, we, we're going to be pushing out the first open nominations. And, and the way we work is we'll, we'll push out open nominations that can come from anywhere. You can nominate a dad in the various categories we have. And then we then, you know, six to 12 weeks before the um, the awards, we then open out voting for those that have made it to our final five. And we announce the winners on the night. So it's a, it's a brilliant affair. It's, it's, you know, this year we had over 100 people come. And we, we had, you know, free food. Well, your ticket includes food and your drink throughout the night. And yeah, we, there's also rumors of an after a dad's after party, which is was interesting this year to say <laughs> the least. It was uh, it was living our youth again, and then aim for it the following week. Oh yeah, the following month, <laughs> week. I, I had this in my ear the whole time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I'm I'm working on that. We we I'm working on the Best of Africa Awards, which is again it's an it's another award show which is happening in October that celebrates the philanthropic endeavors of 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 Black people in outside of the continent. So we have a number of different attendees. It's a private private party where we have a private awards rather than a party. Likes of Lord Dang, Stormzy, Kante. Rio Ferdinand, uh, Chris Hutton, um, a number of people of African descent gathering in one place 
and really celebrating and uplifting each other and having interesting conversations as to how we can support more people from African and Caribbean heritage in Europe. And then what else am I working on next week? I'm, uh, I'm working, there's a Black Maternal Health Week. Um, so I'm, I'm on that. Um, I'm on the panel for that, supporting that. There's going to be a fatherhood festival we're working on for the next year or next year and a half or so. Yeah, I'm just about finishing a book. I'm contributing to to a book called No One Talks About This Stuff, where I will be going into a bit more depth about baby loss story, my thoughts, where I'm at at the moment. And I'm also there's also a project around releasing my own my own calendar. What just twelve sexy pictures of you? Yeah, just for you though, Matt. I'll buy it. It was just it's just for you. <laughs> um, no, I'm not releasing a calendar, but there, there, there is also a project around releasing a, a book in the next year or two. So we're in the very early stages of that, um, working with a with, with a couple of um, really good publishers. And, and looking at editors there's also a film that i can't say too much about but it's going to be an amazing it's going to be a film based on 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 uh on fatherhood that has been commissioned in by a really really one of one of the current actors in um in the uk british current actors who's worldwide at the moment and we are going to be filming that starting towards the end of this year wow and yeah and then i've got baby coming as well there ain't room for anything else at the moment let's be honest i I don't know (laughs) how you're gonna achieve all of that stuff but there's always room for stuff there's there's so much there's so much work that that goes that needs to happen i think and you know look we make time to watch Netflix. That's always my, my philosophy. We make time to watch for the things that are important to us. Right. And, and, and definitely sitting down with you was something that was very dear to my heart and and important to me. So, you know, I had to make the time to, to come and show love. Otherwise you never live it. Let let me live it down either. So yeah, probably that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, but I appreciate it. And it is a very taboo topic, which not a lot of people talk about, not just from a women's point of view, but the birthing partner is pretty much non-existent in that situation. I thank you for your time. I thank you for your honesty. I thank you for answering the somewhat hard questions that I may have asked you. And I guess I'll always say this to my guests in hindsight, more so than at the time it's, I may ask these questions. It's because one, I am genuinely interested in what the answer is, but also for my listeners, I think it's only fair that if there is a question that could be asked, that's relevant to the situation let's follow it up so assumptions are not made and hopefully by us understanding you your mindset and what was going on at the time it will help us to learn the lessons you learn without having to go through the ordeal ourselves and have a better understanding of those people that we care about or are surrounded by 
don't know this is their reality and just be better people. Because one in four, yo, you can go queue up where anywhere and there's at least four people. And you're telling me there's at least one in four that have gone through you. And it could be all four of them. Yep. So it's a beautiful thing. I can't thank you enough for sharing. I have so much love for you, your family and everything you're doing. And we will get you back on probably not until like 2025 after like babies let up and you ain't got all these other projects you're doing trying to take over the world. But we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Matt, I always got time for you, man. Every L podcast, I've always got time for you. So you just, you just tell me when and where let's make it work, man. You say that I ain't trying to fight your wife. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not at that stage where I can say, speak to my agent because you know when i get to that stage it's gonna be mm. he says that until he finds out how much his agent charges to take those calls he'll be like no nah, i'll do it myself yeah 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 hang up hang up hang up just put the phone down, put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> don't say another word that's costing me a few bucks. <laughs> oh that's unbeatable hours right there yeah man yeah yeah no no it's um it's it is you know what it's it's not even world domination i think for me is i will always have a hand in doing a lot of this work i always want to do a lot of this work it's not about where you know yes a man's got to eat and that's the part that we don't talk about right everyone's got to survive but you know this work to me is it goes down to the core of my soul so anything i can do to support to help to do the work, to showcase, to highlight, whatever it is, you will always found, find me on the ground, on the ground doing that work. Um, I'm never going to shy away from that. All the other stuff, they're all nice, fluffy ways in how to reach out to more fathers, to more men who have experienced a similar thing or who are just perhaps just looking for a space to be able to be themselves. So, you know, Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for being patient with me and, and tracking me down as well. Hey, oh, we've got time for you. It's fine. And I'm just grateful that a lot of people just like the concept of the podcast. Come on, share what many people in their own lives may not know. So thank you once again to the listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's something that we've heard before, but from my mum. If you want to reach out, Donald's made himself available. You got my socials, every L podcast on Twitter or Instagram, or email me over at every pod at gmail.com. And if you go into my Instagram page or Twitter page, click on the link on there and you can even ping me a telegram message if you want to. Just don't feel like you don't have someone who's willing to lend an ear. But saying all that to say this, every L is not a loss. Nothing about a caterpillar tell you it's going to be a butterfly. Take care, look after yourself and catch you in the next episode.